Well, if we haven't had a chance uh, to meet, my name is Adam Coons. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And as a church, we've been observing Lent, and every week we've been fasting from a different thing that is uh, maybe pulling us away or distracting us in an effort replacing that thing with something that can um, be of value to us and to um, fix our eyes and affections on Jesus in this season of Lent. And this week we are fasting from news feeds, whether that is um, on social media or your local cable news outlets or even the newspaper. It's really hard to have joy whenever we look at our world through the lens of the news. It's really hard to rejoice when we look at things and the things that are being broadcasted are the sins and consequences of sins in this world. And so we see in Scripture a number of times it tells us to rejoice, have joy. And we see how difficult that is. And even just to read, we are to rejoice. Um, It's not that we can't ever be sad or be grieved over loss, but there is a way to have joy in the midst of our difficult circumstances. Timothy Keller um, says this, To rejoice is to treasure a thing, to reflect on its beauty and importance until your heart rests in it and tastes of the sweetness of it. Rejoice. Have joy. So I want to read over us a passage found in Habakkuk chapter 3. It'll be on the screens. It says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there's no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, Though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. If you're able, I'd love for you to stand and read this last verse with me. The Lord my Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. Let me pray over us. God, whatever season we find ourselves in, whether we are just in moments of fruitfulness or if we find ourselves in seasons of emptiness, Lord, may we look to you as the source of joy, that we not look at this world through the lens of the news, but that we look at the world through the lens of the good news, the gospel through the finished work of Jesus on the cross on our behalf. Lord, may we have joy and peace that transcends all understanding. God, we ask for this and we need your help in this. And it's in your precious name that we pray. Amen. All right, if you want to grab a seat. And as you get yourself seated and settled in, Um, If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Luke chapter 6. We're going to do the first 11 verses of Luke 6. So Luke 6, 1 to 11. Um, While you do that, uh, just a reminder, four services on Easter. If you haven't signed up, you can do that online. Uh, Our request is that you make sure to just get the number correct that you're going to be with on that morning. If you need to go in and cancel something or change it at some point, please help us keep that accurate. We're starting to get 
just more people who are feeling comfortable coming back, um, which, is a, which is awesome. We're seeing some folks every Sunday that we haven't seen in like a year. And so it's always, um, that's a huge joy for us every single week. And Easter will be a couple more weeks down the road, but we'll also have some people who want to be here on Easter. So we want to have enough space. We just need to make sure the numbers are accurate. Um, some of those services are filling. And so if you need to, if you haven't gone and signed up, make sure that you go and do that. And then um, that Sunday, we'll have a great opportunity to celebrate uh, with one another and with our church. And Good Friday as well, the service registration is available for those. There are two services on Good Friday. So um, take care of that. Let's pray. And then we'll jump into Luke 6. God, thanks for this morning, uh, for the chance to gather together as a church family and to celebrate. God, I pray that in our singing, as we open your word, uh, in our interactions with one another, in our praying, God, I pray that there would be a spirit and a heart of celebration in this place. God, that we would celebrate the fact that Jesus, in his own words, is a doctor who's come to heal the sick. He has come to forgive sinners and call them to repentance. And would our praise flow from a sense of gratitude that we were the sick and we were the sinful and he has come and he has made us whole and he has brought us righteousness thanks to his work on the cross. And would that be the thing that causes us to join together as a church and celebrate? God, overflow our hearts with gratitude this morning. Fill this place with praise and rejoicing, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to talk a lot about celebrating this morning. Um, Most of us, that's not a topic that, like, we need much coaching on. All of us are typically pretty good at celebrating. You might be an extrovert who says, celebrating is getting all of my friends together and the people that I love into one place and throwing a party. Some of you might be introverts who say, I celebrate in my heart, and I can do that alone. And either one of those things is totally fine. On Tuesday, I think it was Tuesday, uh, it was Wednesday, we went over to a friend's house, it was his 40th birthday. And so he was born in 1981. In 1981, uh, the number one song on the charts was Cool and the Gang, Celebrate, Celebrate Good Times, Come On. It looked like that had exploded inside their house. There were streamers and balloons in the living room and in the kitchen and up the stairs going to their bedroom. We're going to celebrate. We know what it is to do that. We have different ways of going about celebrating, but most of the time we don't need much coaching on how it is that that works. This morning, we're going to talk about celebrating in the context of Sabbath which is two topics that don't necessarily feel like they go together. And one, the Sabbath, that in the church today, in the 21st century, we just don't talk about a lot. I'm really excited about this. Last week I said I was about as excited as a human being could could be to talk about fasting. This week I'm about as excited as a human being can be to talk about Sabbath. This is a topic that's very close to um, my wife's and I's heart. We love this topic. Um... If you want a fuller dealing with the topic of Sabbath, some practicals, how it is that you could implement this into your life, because we're not going to get into all of that this morning, right just shortly before the world shut down on December 29th of 2019, uh, I gave a sermon called A Call to Quit, and it was all about the practical realities of implementing Sabbath into your life. If you want kind of the fuller picture of this, I would encourage you to go find that on our website and to listen to it. This morning, we're going to talk about a specific aspect of this. 
And it's about the fact that Sabbath is celebrating. In fact, that's the big takeaway this morning. We rest on the Sabbath as a celebration of the glory of Jesus. What we have in Luke 6, 1 to 11 is the fourth in a string of back to back to back to back confrontations that Jesus has with the Pharisees. It starts in 527 when Jesus is at Levi's party with tax collectors and sinners and the Pharisees say, why are you guys here? Then the very next interaction is about fasting. The Pharisees look at Jesus and say, John the Baptist's disciples fast. Our followers fast. How come you and your disciples don't fast? And then right on the heels of that, there are two interactions about the Sabbath. They both take place in Luke 6, 1 to 11. That's where he records them. It's important to keep in mind as we do this. I've mentioned this from the start of our series. Luke's aim is is primarily theological, not primarily chronological. So did all four of these things happen right in a string? Maybe, but Luke doesn't actually say that. He just says, on a Sabbath, on another Sabbath. So he puts them in this order because he wants to show us something. Jesus is identifying who he is. In the interaction about being at the party, he says, I'm a doctor. I'm like a doctor who's come for the sick, not for the healthy. In the interaction about the fasting, he says, I'm like a groom. And when the bride and the groom are together, you don't fast, you feast. And he's going to clarify something about himself in this passage. And so we're going to do this very parallel to last week. We're going to have to talk about fasting in the Old Testament talking about fasting in our Sabbath in the Old Testament, Sabbath in Jesus's day, so that we can talk about what Sabbath should look like in our day. And then we're going to take a little peek into eternity because in the words of Tim Keller, we often get things wrong today because we don't make enough out of what it's going to be like when we're in the presence of Jesus. And so that's the route we're going to take. Jesus is confronting a pharisaical legalistic spirit in his day that had taken the Sabbath and turned it from a delight, a gift from God into a drudgery. And even though the the spirit of our age is different, we're not legalistic about the Sabbath. We're relativistic or we've got sort of a libertine Spirit where, we, spirit, where we say, uh, this is a great opportunity, but it's totally optional. You just take or leave the Sabbath if you want. Instead of having a day to rest, you can just take up our society's notion of hustle and grind and 24-hour pushing for more and more and more and more, and you can just blow through the Sabbath if you want. What Jesus says to a legalistic culture is also going to be helpful in our day in a relativistic culture. So if you've got this open. I'm going to read Luke 6, 1 to 11, two conversations about the Sabbath. On a Sabbath, he passed through the grain fields. His disciples were picking heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands and eating them. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered them, haven't you read what David and those who were with him did when he was hungry, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which was not lawful for any but the priests to eat? He even gave gave some to those who were with him. Then he told them, the son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. A man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The scribes and Pharisees were watching him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath so that they could find a charge against him. But he knew their thoughts and told the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand here. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said to him, I ask you, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath or to do evil, to save a life? Or destroy it. After looking around at them all, he told him, Stretch out your hand. He did, and his hand was restored. 
they, that's the Pharisees, however, were filled with rage and started discussing with one another what they might do to Jesus. We're going to start in the Old Testament. And I always wrestle a little bit on this with like how much Old Testament context is necessary for us to correctly understand a New Testament passage. And how much Old Testament context can we do as a church at 11.48 a.m. on a Sunday morning and everybody hang with it so that when we get back to the New Testament, we're all on the same page and it all makes sense. So we're gonna have to do a chunk of this this morning. And in order to do it, we need to go to Exodus chapter 20. So if you've got a Bible, it's helpful if you can actually look at this. Either scroll to it on your phone or flip to it in your Bible. Exodus 20 is where the Sabbath is really instituted between God and his people. It's the Ten Commandments. And so when we think about Sabbath in the Old Testament, what we have is that the Sabbath is a covenant gift between God's people and him that was to set his people apart from the rest of the world. Let me show you how it is that I arrived there. Look at what God says at the start of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verse 1. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. That's how he starts the Ten Commandments. Then there are four. And the fifth commandment, verse 8, is about the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. That's the fourth, not the fifth commandment. What happens here? Consider the Israelite people. They've been in slavery in Egypt for generations, like like a 400-year block. Particularly in the days right before Moses led them out of their slavery and into the wilderness, out of Egypt, the workload had gotten more and more difficult. The quota of bricks necessary for them to make was higher and higher. They're overworked, underrested, they're very, very tired. God rescues them from their slavery, gets them out into the wilderness, gives him their, their commands, and he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery. Rest. This is a people who for 400 years had not experienced a day off. Most of them, if they're adults, had worked every day of their adult workable life. They get out into the wilderness and God says, hey, I just saved you. Take 52 days off this year. Think about what a gift that would be. All you've known is work. And now God is saying once every seven days, just take a rest. It's a month and a half worth of time off. They've never experienced that before. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. And God points them back to creation. He's sufficient in and of himself. He doesn't need any rest, but he created for six days. And then as a demonstration for how it is that humanity would thrive best in the creation that he had given to us, he takes a day off. And he says, do likewise. I rescued you. Rest. Jump forward to Exodus 31. 
In Exodus 31, God gives Moses some more specifics about the Sabbath. Specifics that include the consequence for breaking the Sabbath. Starts in verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations so that you will know that I am the Lord who consecrates you or sets you apart. Observe the Sabbath, for it is holy to you. Whoever profanes it must be put to death. If anyone does work on it, that person must be cut off from his people. Work may be done for six days, but on the seventh day, there must be a Sabbath of complete rest, holy to the Lord. Anyone who does work on the Sabbath day must be put to death. The Israelites must observe the Sabbath, celebrating it throughout their generations as a permanent covenant. It is a sign forever between me and the Israelites." gives them a little bit more about the nature of the Sabbath. It's a sign, a gift, a covenant. It's a picture of his consecrating his people. It's between God and his chosen people, the Israelites. And then there's something about the scope of it. It's forever. Two times in there, he says, this is for all of your generations. Not just while you're in the wilderness, not just while this first generation is around, but me and my people from now on, one day a week, take a rest. He gives them details. It's complete rest, a holy day. Holy means set apart or other. So six days look like this and the seventh day is different. It's entirely set apart, other. It's not like those. It's a day of complete rest. They're an agrarian society. You're going to You're going to really bust it for six days to have food, to have provision. I'm going to bless the earth and give you crops, and I'm the Lord, and I'm sovereign over all that, but you're going to work really hard, but one day a week is totally different. And then there are the consequences. Two different times we're told that a person who breaks the Sabbath has to be put to death. One time we're told that a person who breaks the Sabbath is to be cut off from the Lord. And it sounds really harsh, but take a step back and think about all of the Old Testament. Think about all of the biblical witness about sin. What's the consequence for sin? Death. What's the consequence for transgression between God and his covenant people? When you read the Old Testament, it's cut off. You're separated. Just a few weeks ago, we saw Jesus heal a man with leprosy. What was the consequence for a person who had leprosy and was therefore unclean? They were separated from worship at the temple and separated from God's people. They were cut off. So here in the Sabbath, what is the consequence for sin? Death. It sounds really harsh to our ears in 2021 because we think if I was put to death for breaking a Sabbath, I'd have died last weekend, right? I'm willing to raise my hand and say that that's the case. That's the situation. If you're taking notes, just jot these down. We're not going to flip to them. You can go read in Ezekiel chapter 20 and in Jeremiah 17. You could also go to a handful of places within the minor prophets. The Israelite people end up being taken into exile. Prophets are sent to them to call them to repentance, to point out their sin, to warn them of what's coming. Well, in 586 BC, Babylon comes in, takes them out of the promised land. They're scattered out among the nations and Ezekiel and Jeremiah say that the reason that this has come upon the Israelite people is because they've worshiped false gods and broken the Sabbath. Those are the reasons that are, why is it that Israel gets kicked out of their land, cut off 
from the place where they were to dwell with the Lord? Well, they worshiped false gods and they broke the Sabbath. Like we think that would get us sent into exile is that we worked on the Sabbath. That's how serious this is to God. And so as the Israelite prophets are calling the people back to repentance, part of what they're calling for is remember the Sabbath. Keep it holy. He is the Lord, our God, who brought us out of slavery in Egypt and rescued us from that place. One day a week, we're supposed to rest. Notice what's right in the middle of verse 16 in Exodus 31. The Israelites must observe the Sabbath, celebrating it throughout the generations. It's not just like, hey, once a week, kind of wake up and remind yourself you're not supposed to work today. No, once a week, celebrate good times, explodes in your house. Like, get the streamers out. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery, and I'm gifting you days off. Celebrate. Remember the fact that I called you as my people, and this is a covenant sign, and you are mine, and I cherish you so much, I'm willing to give you days off. Just rest. I'll be God. I'll be Lord. I'll be sovereign and keep things going. You just rest and remember that I rescued you. Celebrate that. Fast forward to Jesus' day. Flip back to Luke chapter 6. The Israelites end up in exile. And part of the reason is they're breaking the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees, who are the religious authorities of Jesus' day, it's easy for us to think, look at how legalistic they are and how far wrong. They're just way off on what God wants. But think about what they're reacting to. The consequences for us breaking the Sabbath were steep. And so we should do all that we can to like get the Sabbath in a bubble where our people won't break it again, but they turn it into a burden. And that's the big thing in Jesus's day. In Jesus's day, the Sabbath became a burden to bear, not a gift to celebrate. Alongside the Old Testament scriptures in the days of Jesus, there was a pretty thick and really ever-growing text called the Mishnah. What the Mishnah included were the Pharisees' interpretations and applications of the law. And so around the Sabbath, they had built these fences. These weren't in the Old Testament, but they were ways whereby they kept people or tried to help keep people from transgressing the Sabbath. It would be like you're driving uh, kind of by City Park over there and you see the big electrical uh, power station where all the power lines come out. There's a big fence around that, right? If you step into that, you might end up getting fried. So let's put a fence around it to keep you from even getting close enough to possibly suffer the consequences. That's what the Pharisees had done with all parts of God's law, the Sabbath included. But the things that they put around became these heavy burdens to bear. So look at what happens in Luke chapter 6. Jesus and his disciples are walking through a field one day. As they're walking through the field, Jesus' disciples are picking some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands, and then they're eating that grain. And the Pharisees see that and they say, wait, 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 wait. That's not lawful. What they're actually saying is, wait, 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 wait. You blew through one of our fences. Because the Mishnah said that a person could not reap, thresh, winnow, or prepare an amount of grain that ended up larger than a dried fig. Why a dry fig? Not sure. But that was what the Pharisees thought was the safe amount to keep us from transgressing the Sabbath. 
So there are Jesus' disciples picking the grain. Well, that looks like reaping. Rubbing it in between their hands. That's winnowing and threshing and separating out the edible part. And then eating. So they had prepared it. And the Pharisees say, what are you doing? Then on another Sabbath, Jesus walks into a synagogue like he would do on any Sabbath. And he's up there teaching and he sees a man with a withered right hand. Evidently, the man couldn't stretch that hand all the way out. And in the middle of teaching, Jesus, knowing that the Pharisees are looking to try to catch him and trap him, has the man stand up and come join him. And he looks right at the Pharisees and he says, what's lawful to do, good or evil on the Sabbath? Save a life or destroy it. And the Pharisees are stuck. Not because God's law says that Jesus could not heal that man's hand, but because their fence said... You could heal a person if it was life-threatening. If it wasn't life-threatening, save it till tomorrow. So Jesus says, what's lawful to do? Good or evil? Save a person or destroy a person? And the Pharisees are stuck. Well, our fence says, you shouldn't be able to do this. So they say nothing. And Jesus says, stretch out your hand. And the man's hand is healed. And right in the middle of that, Luke records sort of the key chunk of this, Jesus telling the Pharisees, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. If you went to the account in Matthew chapter 12 and Mark chapter 2, you would see that they all include that as kind of the central statement that Jesus makes. But Matthew and Mark include Jesus saying some other things. It's not really any different than if I took four people's notes from this sermon Hopefully everybody would have the main point the same, but different stuff would resonate and you would jot down some different things. So Matthew, having observed Jesus, Matthew was a disciple, having observed Jesus heal this man's hand includes the phrase, Jesus quoting the Old Testament, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. It's proper to do good, not evil, on the Sabbath. Mark, who ends up being an associate of Peter. So Peter is there as a disciple and Peter reflects back on it and he remembers Jesus saying as the disciples were winnowing out the grain in their hands, the uh, man is made for the Sabbath. Our Sabbath is made for the man, not man for the Sabbath. All three of them include is like the cornerstone of Jesus's response. The son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. In last week's passage, Jesus taught us that he's the groom and when the bride and the groom are together, we feast. This week, he says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And that means this, I created it. I define it. All the way back at Mount Sinai, Pharisees, when God told you, remember the Lord who rescued you out of Egypt and that this Sabbath was a covenant sign between the Lord and his people, I'm the other side of the covenant. Like, I'm the other half of this. This is a gift between you, Pharisees, and me. And so I don't need your fences to know what can and cannot be done on the Sabbath. I'm sinless, which means us eating grain or me healing this man is not sin. It went through your fence, but we didn't break the Sabbath. In the middle of all of that, Jesus gives this story about David and his followers from 1 Samuel chapter 21. If you want to jot that down, you can go back and read it. David is on the run from Saul. David's been anointed king of Israel, the Lord's Lord's chosen to lead his people. 
Saul is the authority figure at the time, and Saul wants to kill David. So David's men are on the run, and they're near a city named Nob, where the tabernacle happens to be. So they're camping out, and David goes into the tabernacle, and he sees the priest, a man named Ahimelech. And he says, do you have any food? My men are starving. Five loaves of bread would be enough to feed us. And Ahimelech says, all I have is the bread of the presence, which was a ceremonial loaf of bread that was set before the altar, and it was always there. And when that loaf needed to be traded out, only the priest could eat that bread of the presence. And so here's David, the Lord's anointed, and his followers are starving. They're called by the Lord, doing what God has called them to do. His followers are starving, and the priest says, you can eat the bread of the presence. No one gets punished for it. The priest doesn't get punished. David and his followers don't get punished by God. And Jesus says, I am the son of man, Lord of the Sabbath. My followers are starving. I'm the Lord's anointed. We can eat on the Sabbath. We're not breaking the Sabbath by eating some grain. If David and his men could do this, trust me when I tell you, as the creator of the Sabbath, we can do this. That fence, the Sabbath, or that the Pharisees were saying, this is the law, you're doing what's unlawful. Jesus is saying, I'm not doing what's unlawful. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. Then the man's hand. Man's hand is withered. Jesus looks at him, has him stand up, looks at the Pharisees, asks them a question that they know that they can't answer, so everybody's silent. Jesus says, stretch out your hand. The man unfurls his fingers or turns his hand out, and he's totally healed. Think about what he's done there for a moment. He's not broken the law. In fact, the question that he asks, is it lawful to do good or to do evil, to heal or save a life or destroy it, Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. All of the law is a reflection of the character of God. If you were to take a mirror and hold it up to the Old Testament and all of the law in the Old Testament, the reflection would be Jesus looking back at you. If you were to take all of the law and draw it into human form, the picture that you would end up with is Jesus. He embodies that law. And so the rhetorical question just hangs there in the air while Jesus displays the fulfillment of that law. And the fulfillment of that law is God's goodness to this man. Heals his hand. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the perfect fulfillment of the law. Quick sidebar. This enrages the Pharisees. Not because Jesus has sinned, but because Jesus has made them look foolish. And when we think about what lands Jesus on the cross, we think about, rightfully so, that he says that he's God. We think that he says that he can, it's because he says he can forgive sin. We think of the fact that Jesus says, I'm gonna tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days. And the Pharisees then convict Jesus and get him sent to the cross. Where does that start? A discussion about the Sabbath. And it's so important for Jesus to clarify the truth on this, define who he is and clarify what this Sabbath is all about, that he enters into this discussion that's ultimately going to start the brooding among the Pharisees that we need to bring charges against this guy. 
This is where it begins. That's how big of a deal the Sabbath is. So we put all of it together. What does it tell us about today? Jesus clarifies who he is and what that means for the Sabbath for the Pharisees of the day. I think that has something to say to us 2,000 years later in the church. And the big takeaway is we rest on the Sabbath as a celebration of the glory of Jesus. And that leaves the question, what are we celebrating today? Let me give you four things. Number one, Sabbath is a celebration of the finished work of Jesus. And it is to the glory of Jesus when we rest in that finished work. The big picture that the Sabbath reminds us of is that Jesus accomplished our salvation on the cross and we do not need to work for it. Think about the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt out of the hand of slavery. Think about Jesus today. He is the Lord your God who rescued you from the bondage to sin that held you captive. And one day a week, Jesus says, come and celebrate it. Come and celebrate the fact that you do not have to earn God's favor or hold off God's judgment because Jesus earned that favor for you by absorbing God's judgment in your place and that is cause for celebration. Get the streamers out, get the balloons out, celebrate good times. Come on, he saved you. The work is done. You don't have to earn it for yourself and once a week you give yourself a physical reminder of that spiritual reality. You set all of your work aside and you just rest in the glory of Jesus. What a gift. And we think it's just kind of like this optional thing. No, your soul needs it. More than anything else, your soul needs that reminder. And your body needs it. Your mind needs it. Your emotions need it. God built it in there because that's how we thrive. And it serves as this beautiful reminder. So on each and every Sabbath, you wake up in the morning and the first thing you ought to say to yourself is, he is the Lord my God and he has saved me. You wake up in the morning and you take a deep breath and then you just breathe easy because the heavy heavy lifting has been done on your behalf. Sometimes that's an easy thing to remember on the Sabbath and therefore celebrating flows naturally. But other times you need the reminder on the Sabbath. And so it becomes a little bit of a discipline. I will do this once a week to give myself this reminder to celebrate the finished work of Jesus. Number two, celebration is a Sabbath, uh, uh, Sabbath is a celebration of the fullness of Jesus's lordship. And that's to the glory of Jesus. It glorifies Jesus when you acknowledge him as Lord. Again, think of how the 10 commandments start. I am the Lord, your God, and therefore I can tell you this. Maybe the hardest thing for us to remember when it comes to the Sabbath in our own flesh is that that reality has not changed. He is still the Lord. Like he's the one that caused the sun to come up this morning. Not your schedule and your calendar and all of your hustle and all of your grind. No, he painted the sunrise this morning 
in all of its beauty and in all of its glory. He's going to paint it tomorrow and he doesn't need your help one bit to do it. He is the one that is in control of moving your life forward, of moving our society forward, of pushing human history toward its predetermined endpoint at its predetermined time. And he does not need any single one of us to go to work in order to do it. He's the Lord, sovereign. And a Sabbath is a reminder that I am not the God of my own little universe. We are not kings and queens of our own little kingdoms. He is the sovereign Lord of the one universe that exists, and he is the absolute king of the only kingdom that's ever going to matter in all of eternity, and he doesn't need our help to run it. And so the Sabbath is a chance to wake up and just say, I'm highly treasured and not necessary. Praise the Lord that both of those things could be true. You could be so deeply loved and cherished that Jesus would go finish your work on the cross and so completely unnecessary that God would say, just take a day off. And it's a gift to wake up on the Sabbath and celebrate that. Number three, Sabbath is a celebration of the fullness of Jesus' provision. And it is to the glory of Jesus for us to enjoy what he has graciously given us. Sabbath is a chance to wake up and look around at whatever the Lord has blessed you with in your life, relationally, materially, physically, and say, this is all his goodness. I deserved none of this. He's just given it to me. And for one day every week, I can stop thinking about the stuff I don't have and pining for the things that I think are going to make me happy and just enjoy what God has given to me. Psalm 23 was in our reading in our Lent devotional guide this week. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I have what I need. The Sabbath is a chance to wake up and look around and say, here it is. All of his goodness, all of his provision. What a wonderful gift that is in a society that constantly tells us that we need to clamor for more. That one time a week, one day out of seven, we would wake up and look around and say, this is just totally sufficient and wonderful and what a blessing it all is. I'm just gonna enjoy it today. I'm gonna enjoy creation outside today. I'm gonna enjoy the food that God has given me today. I'm gonna enjoy the relationships that God has given me today. I'm gonna enjoy whatever number is sitting in the bank account today because this is what God has blessed me with and it is good and he's faithful to give it. And I can go back to working tomorrow. Number four, Sabbath is a celebration of the fruits of Jesus' love. And it is to the glory of Jesus for us to remember his love. I want you to think with me what it would have been like the next Sabbath for the man with the withered hand. He shows back up to the synagogue, fully functional right hand. He walks back in and he immediately remembers last Saturday, that was their Sabbath, when I showed up here, I couldn't use this hand. And then just out of the bounty of the power and the goodness and the love of Jesus, he healed me. I mean, think every Sabbath for the rest of his life, he would think about that. Brothers and sisters in Christ, your spiritual condition is the equivalent of that withered right hand. And Jesus, out of the bounty of his love, has made you whole. You are literally the fruit of Jesus' love. Celebrate it. 
I mean, every Sunday. Or if it works a better day in your schedule, do it on a different day. But we should remind ourselves that that man's physical condition was our spiritual condition. And the love of God displayed to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ has taken us from withered to whole. The Sabbath is a chance to unashamedly, unabashedly, unreservedly celebrate that reality. Decorate the house, get a cake out, put the streamers up, do whatever you have to do to remind yourself that Sabbath is an opportunity to celebrate. The love of Jesus has made us whole. His people that he bought on the cross by his blood are the fruit of his love. You celebrate that one time a week. A quick peek into eternity. Whether because you die and your time here on earth is over or because Jesus returns and takes his people to be with him for all of eternity. We're going to gather in that new heaven and new earth and we're going to spend all of eternity celebrating. What are we going to celebrate? We're going to celebrate the finished work of Jesus. And the lamb that was slain is going to be center stage in that place. And you're not going to be able to give enough praise. You're not going to be able to give enough celebration. You're not going to be able to give enough worship. He's going to be there. The lamb will be present with his people. God will dwell among us. And the finished work of Jesus that brought us all to that place is going to be the thing that we sing about for all of eternity. What else are we going to celebrate? We're going to celebrate the fullness of Jesus' lordship. His divinity is going to be unmistakable. Philippians says it this way, every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We're just going to be hanging out for all of eternity celebrating the fact that the Lord went to the cross on our behalf so that we could be there. And it's going to be to his glory. The faithfulness of Jesus' provision is something that we'll celebrate. Nothing is going to be lacking in eternity. Nothing is going to be broken. Nothing is going to be missing. There will be no pain. There will be no tears. There will be no sickness. Everything is going to be completely and fully, faithfully provided for us for all of eternity. You're never going to lack. You're never going to want. You're just going to enjoy the fullness of that at the feast of the Lamb for all of eternity. And we'll celebrate the fruits of Jesus' love. Literally, people from every tribe, nation, and tongue are going to be there. That will be the fruit of Jesus' love on display for all of eternity. Revelation tells us that the kings of the nations will bring the glory of their people into the presence of the throne, and everybody's going to go wild about it. You're going to celebrate it for all of eternity. And so what is Sabbath? Sabbath is God inviting you once a week. Get a taste of that. You can have it now. You don't have to wait until then. You can celebrate the finished work of my son. You can celebrate the faithfulness of his provision, the fruits of his love, and the fullness of his lordship right now, once a week. I'm inviting you to celebrate. That's the Sabbath. 
we've taken it and we've turned it into something completely optional. And God is saying, you are my people. I rescued you. Let your soul drink deeply of this reality once a week. You set aside a day and celebrate. And so we, we walk in on Sunday mornings. Typically, at least right at the start. And the band's up here playing. We come scrambling in the door. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. I was a prisoner, now I'm not. And we stand in our seats and we're mumbling, like, you were a prisoner and now you're not. I am the Lord your God and I rescued you from the slavery of your sin. Celebrate a little bit. It's okay to sing. It's okay to clap. It'd be okay to shout. You can get down on your knees if you wanted to. You can raise your hands up. Just do something. We're throwing a party here. That's what... This is on Sunday mornings. And so all of you extroverts are like, this is amazing. We're doing this with all these people. And all you introverts, you're like, Tim, I'm celebrating my heart. I don't have to be all that. It's fine. Do it however you want. But that is what we're doing when we get together on Sunday mornings is we are throwing a celebration to the glory of Jesus. And so we're just gonna end our service celebrating. Like I'm gonna invite you to step in and praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forever. Let's get ourselves a taste of eternity as we celebrate the glory of Jesus in the rest of our Sabbath. Amen? Amen. Amen. Stand up, let's sing. Mm -hmm.